pray today, I thank you that Jesus died on a cross, satisfied the wrath of God, and made me acceptable so that I could talk to you this morning and you could hear me. Because outside of Christ, I wouldn't have a prayer. None of us do. And so we come today to thank you that we don't pray on the basis of our own worthiness, how well we've done and how many good things we've done. We come simply because the Savior bled and died and perfectly paid for our sins completely. And so we can come before you today. And thank you that because we're a part of your family, because those of us who have trusted you as Savior and Lord, we're your sons and we're your daughters. And you are concerned with everything that we do, everything that we go through, and everything that we are burdened with because we cast all of our cares upon you. And there are some people here today that have worries and fears, anxieties, needs, questions, all of those kind of things they need to cast upon you. And I pray that you would meet those needs, answer those questions, relieve those fears, and I pray that you would help them. And I pray, Lord, that you would open up our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears, that they would be unstopped and we wouldn't be dull of hearing, that as we look into your word, the Spirit of God would bring life to us and speak to us through the word of God and show us what it is that we need to do and spotlight the greatness, the grandness and the glory of Jesus Christ. And I pray this would be more than just an intellectual exercise or a motivational talk. I pray, Father, that this would be a time of worship, that we would see our Savior and the wisdom of the Word of God and that we would live by it. And just as a while ago Gary came down here to put a new battery in my microphone, because this microphone has no power in and of itself, it needs a power source from elsewhere. And I thank you, Father, that you would remind us we have no power simply in and of ourselves. We need a power source from elsewhere. And that's why we depend upon the Holy Spirit and ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit even now and pray that the Holy Spirit would do His job of interpreting the Word of God, applying the Word of God, giving understanding of the truth, and also spotlighting Jesus Christ in everything that we do. So, Father, we just simply say we trust you, we love you, and we surrender to you regardless of our situation or what we think ought to happen. We trust you. And we pray this now for your honor and for your glory in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you will uh, take your Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to uh, finish this book up. Go down to verse 16 and we'll talk about it in just a moment. But let me just say, uh, do you remember what Paul said last week? Basically, he said, quit being a busybody, mind your own business, work in quietness, <coughs> eat your own bread, provide for your family. And uh, that's not really an earth-shattering spiritual thing, is it? Or is it? There's something powerful about the ordinary. I read a book this uh, past week, and I can't remember the name of the author right now, but the name of it is Dream Small. Because sometimes we're trying to dream so big, grand, and glorious things that really it's in the everyday, ordinary Christian life that we either succeed or we fail. It's in the small things, small decisions that we make. It's in the 
small battles that we win that, that build up into the big things. And so you might look at that. Uh, you can find it on Amazon, uh, Dream Small. And uh, I may get you more information on that later. And that, I think, is what Paul is saying in the previous verses that we read. That it's not in the uh, big-time crowds and the traveling and the miracles and all of that. It simply boils down to this. Do what you know is right. And do it consistently. And uh, don't stick your nose in everybody else's business. Quit judging them and leave them to the Lord and their conscience. Unless it's a Matthew 18 situation, of course. And uh, as you do that, God is going to bless you. And so when we uh, think about those kind of things, uh, it sounds kind of boring. It sounds kind of normal. We don't really like normal. We always talk about having a new normal. And uh, we want something dramatic to happen. And we, uh, you know, sometimes we, uh, I think about when that little kid, uh, you know, they wrote that book from that, what, four-year-old or something that went to heaven and he came back and described it and it said, heaven is for real. Well, we already knew that. Well, how do we know that? Because the Bible said that. Oh, well, it's just the Bible, but this is real. A little kid went to heaven and came back. How, how many other testimonies do you receive from a kid who is that age? And um, we think about what the Bible has to say. Just reading your Bible every day, reading a chapter or two or something like that, starting your day with it, knowing it and applying it, letting it feed your soul, that's where the battles are won or the battles are lost. That's where the power really is. And it's a power that doesn't come from you. It's a power that comes from elsewhere. And it is, of course, the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine going to work on Monday morning just like you always do, except this time you go filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Can you imagine meeting a neighbor and uh, talking to him or her just like you always do? And you talk about the weather, you talk about tree limbs that have fallen down, grass that needs to be mowed. You talk about getting kids to soccer practice and all of that. But there's something different this time because you're doing it while you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine looking for an opportunity to witness, not just to befriend somebody, but to actually witness to them and your friendship and your relationships and your common experiences lead to maybe a question that's asked or something like that? I mean, Paul was in the prison at Philippi and he and Silas are singing and worshiping the Lord when they shouldn't have been. They should have been complaining and groaning. They were hurting but they chose to praise God. And what happened? There was an earthquake. And then you can't ask for anything better than this. The Philippian jailer comes up and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I think it's in our everyday life and the choices that we make when circumstances are not good. Maybe you don't see a physical earthquake, but maybe God causes a spiritual earthquake in somebody's life or in your life even. Somebody else sees how you handle that with grace and with peace and for the glory of the Lord, and they ask you that same question. What must I do to be saved? What, what's going on in your life? And so uh, Paul seems to be saying to the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, settle down. You're worried about the second coming. You're worried about the people that have told you lies and confused you and messed you up. 
And some of you have done the wrong thing with that. You think that you have the right to go wait for Jesus on a mountaintop and then come back and, and barge into other people's lives and live off of them and sponge off of them. Stop it, he says. Just live an ordinary life. Well, where's the fun in that? Where's the thrill in that? Kind of a boring thing, right? Well, I, I guess we could say that until we read these verses and we realize Paul is talking about not being bored, but being blessed. You're never bored when you're blessed by God. That's always something that is new, fresh, challenging. It's exciting. It's refreshing. And uh, there's a renewal in all of that. And can that happen in the midst of just living your normal, dull, everyday life? Well, it seems to be that's what Paul is pointing out and uh, we don't want to despise the small things so when we look in second thessalonians 3 16 through 18 it says now may the lord of peace himself that's a big word himself give you peace always in every way okay would that make you stand out in a crowd would that make you stand out in church? Would that make you stand out at work or school or in your neighborhood? That's a big deal. Then it says, the Lord be with you all. Then he goes on to uh, say in verse 17, the salutation of Paul with my own hand. In other words, he signed this letter, which is a sign in every epistle. So I write, verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, not just some of you, but all of you. And then he seals it off the end of the prayer with an amen, which means so be it. And so when we look at these things, we think about last week in 2 Thessalonians uh, 3, 12 and 13. He said, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Boy, don't, doesn't it get tiring sometimes? You do good and you don't seem to get anything from it. You do good, people don't seem to change. They seem to take advantage of you. You keep doing good and other people just flake off. And it seems like when they flake off from church and serving the Lord, they make more money. They're more popular. They, they seem to have more fun, at least on Facebook anyway. And we look at all of that and we're tempted to kind of stray once again to try to look in other pastures to try to think that there's got to be more to life we've got to to quote the old beer commercial we've got to go for the gusto and it just doesn't seem to be happening the same old same old I get up every morning i go to work or go to school or uh, you know do the normal routine things that i do take care of the kids and um, where where is the excitement where's the joy and maybe we're tempted to think that I, it sure would be cool if I could live uh, maybe kind of like they did in the book of Acts. Because some people have the idea that in the book of Acts it was just miracle, 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 miracle. And resurrections and healings and all of these different things taking place. Man, it must have been exciting. But when you read verses like these, and then when you really look carefully at the book of Acts, you find out it didn't happen for everybody all the time in the same way. That most of the early church, you know what they did? They just lived. They took care of their families. They fed their kids. They bought them clothes. They educated them. They went to work. 
They came home from work. They loved their wife. They loved their husband. And uh, they were just living life like that. And yet the gospel spread powerfully. It wasn't just through the times when somebody was raised from the dead or somebody was healed. Those things happened, but they didn't happen all the time and in every situation. The spread of the gospel through the world in the early church, I mean, it went all over the place, was mainly through people like you and people like me, just ordinary, common people. We don't even know their names. Yes, we know Paul's name and Barnabas and Silas, and we know Peter and James and John and some of those kind of people, but that's just but a handful of people of all of the ones that are in the New Testament. Most of them were not missionaries. Most of them, in the, in the formal sense, most of them were not great evangelists. Most of them were not miracle workers. Most of them were not healers. Most of them did not see a resurrection, much less raise somebody from the dead. They just woke up every morning, went to work, did their thing, came back, took care of their kids, had supper together, and went to bed at night, and then did the same thing over and over and over. But the gospel spread through that because there's a significant amount of the population on earth that will never listen to uh, the miracle workers. And you know why the miracle workers that we see on TV and all of that, you know why they make so much money? Because they are so rare. If that were happening, if everybody were living, okay, their best life now, they would never buy that book and they would never tune in to Joel Osteen or anything like that. If everybody were living and walking in victory and healing and prosperity, there'd be no need to listen to Kenneth Copeland or Benny Hinn or anything like that. You know why so many people do? Because that's what they're looking for and they can't seem to attain it. And that's why so many people are so disappointed because they're trying to reach for something they can't possibly reach. It's like they're trying to jump up and grab a hold of a bar that's 20 foot tall and they can't seem to get it. But there's a guy up there on there saying, I did it, you can do it too, pay me money and I'll show you how to get up here. But it doesn't work and that's why people continue to flock to them. For example, it's been a long time since I bought a book or watched a video that said how to tie your shoes. You know why? Because I'm already doing it. I don't need that. Now, I may not be doing it up to your standard or anybody else, but I do it, and I'm fine with it. It's not a big deal. So if somebody came up and said, Hey, friend, I can show you how to really tie your shoes. It's like, nah, No, thanks. I'm, I'm good. I've already got that. But if there's somebody that has something I want and I don't have, I might be inclined to listen to them. Well, notice how Paul does not appeal to the Thessalonian believers on the basis of, Let me show you how to never be sick again. Let me show you how I raise people from the dead. Let me show you how all of this stuff takes place. And you too can be a great apostle. And you too can be a miracle worker. He doesn't appeal to that. He says, settle down, be quiet, live your life, take care of your family, quit being a busybody, having your nose in everybody else's business. Because in that, God is glorified. And when you have the blessing of God on your life... God seems to work in the ordinary, everyday things more than he does in the big splash, supernatural type things. In fact, Jesus walked on the earth for three years. Think about all the things that he said. And even by their own admission, people said, no one ever taught like him. 
But that didn't convince the Pharisees or the Sadducees, did it? Jesus worked all kinds of miracles. And all they could say is, how dare you do that on the Sabbath? Right? Instead of being in awe of the miracle worker, they're being legalistic and looking for a way to condemn him no matter what he did. And when he raised Lazarus from the dead, they weren't impressed. In fact, you find as you read through the Gospel of John, which is where we're going to go after 2 Thessalonians, by the way, they actually tried to kill Lazarus because of that. And so it's not in those ways that the world just comes flocking to Jesus Christ then or now. It's in ordinary people living their lives, testifying of what Christ has done. I mean, we find in the New Testament people saying things like this, come and see what this man has done. And it always points to Jesus in the everyday traffic patterns of life. Even the Great Commission is not supposed to be, let's all get together a big mission trip and raise money and let's go. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's a fine thing to do. But the Great Commission is actually saying, as you are going, as you are going, it's a participle in the Greek, going, preach the gospel. What does that mean? Well, you've got a mission field everywhere you go. Whether it's a Thanksgiving dinner at uh, your house with your relatives, or whether it's at work, or whether it's at school, whether it's helping somebody who is in need, whether it is ministering to somebody who's homeless, whatever it might be, Preach the gospel, share the gospel, even in the raising of your own kids, changing diapers, you know, taking care of them, dealing with a stubborn teenager. It's all about the gospel and it's all about Jesus. And that's what Paul emphasizes. He doesn't say you need to go to a conference and you need to learn the quote unquote secret. There's not a secret, it's clear, very, very clear. In the inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient Word of God. <sighs> We've all heard that. I've read the Bible I don't know how many times. Is that the way we are? Why don't you come to church? It bores the snot out of me, but maybe you'll like it. I mean, is that, our, is that our message? Come to Jesus. He'll take you to heaven, but in the meantime, your life is going to be horrible and dull. Is that the message? Or do we look at this and say, with the blessing of God, life is exciting. With the blessing of God upon our lives. We stand out in the ordinary things. With the blessing of God, we have strength to overcome sin. And we have the strength and the courage to tell other people about Christ. And even to confront their sins if necessary. This seems to be, to me, what Paul is talking about. So how do you keep this from just being dull and boring and monotonous because it can be if we let it or it can be something completely different let me give you some ideas here based on Paul's benediction Paul's prayer Paul's blessing upon the church okay number one this is where it all starts be saved by having peace with God verse 16 now may the Lord of peace himself we'll just stop there this is something that the Lord has to give. This is something that only the Lord can give. And this first part, when it talks about the Lord of peace, this is the Lord that brings peace between him and his enemies. Do you realize that before you were saved, you were called by the Apostle Paul an enemy of the cross? There were hostilities between you and God. You didn't love him. 
You didn't seek after him. In fact, read Romans chapter 3 sometime and realize you're looking in a mirror there. That was you before you were saved. Read Ephesians chapter 2. That's you before you were saved. It was the Lord who sought you. It was the Lord who came after you. It was the Lord who sent his son. It's not like a bunch of people were praying and they say, Lord, we don't know how to get right with you, but maybe if you sent your son, the second person of the Godhead, to come here to earth, what if maybe he came and he lived the life we couldn't live and then he went to the cross and had nails driven in his hands and his feet after being beaten to a pulp and while he's on the cross, he could say something like, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do and you could take all of your wrath you have toward me and you could pour it out on him and in three hours he could suffer the pain and the uh, the indignity that I would suffer for an eternity in hell and then you could raise him from the dead how about that God would that would that be a good plan and the father in heaven on his throne said well that's not a bad idea let's try it let's see what happens you say well that's preposterous absolutely it is because this was in the heart of God from before the foundation of the world this is something that God planned to do long before Adam ever sinned God had already known and allowed for the fall and the curse of sin and already had a plan in place that his son would come and be the remedy for that sin and on that time when you realized you were a sinner that you were separated from God. And not only were you separated from God, but there was a great gulf fixed between you and God, and you could not get to Him. He came to you through Jesus Christ. And it was at that moment you put your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, knowing that He did everything necessary for you to be right with God. And when you said, Father, I come to you, asking you to save me and I trust in Jesus that he was raised from the dead and I surrender to him as Lord something immediately happened there that you didn't realize and that you may not have even felt anything you may not have understood it but at that point the father said not guilty and you had peace with God no longer were you at war. No, wonder, no longer were you hostile toward him or him toward you. You became a part of his family. You became uh, beloved by the Lord. He came to indwell you through his Holy Spirit. And you started on a great adventure of becoming like Jesus Christ. Learning and growing. Experiencing pain and storms and heartache. And yet finding out there's victory in the midst of those. And that the Lord would never leave you or forsake you all the way through. The psalmist said, you will guide me by your counsel and afterward receive me into glory. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. We're living by the counsel of God, learning and growing. Sometimes we stumble, sometimes we fall, sometimes we get hurt. But the Lord raises us up, teaches us from that, and we say, well, I'll never do that again. And so we learn and we grow from all of these things. And then when we get to heaven, there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, nothing like that at all. Guided by his counsel, and afterward we're received into glory. Sound boring? Sound dull? Sound ordinary? Well, it may be ordinary, but it's anything but boring. Learning in life, growing in life, being corrected in life, learning to 
reconcile with other people, learning how to receive other people, learning how to love other people, learning how to make a difference in people's lives. I heard about a man that uh, he was just an ordinary man, just an ordinary preacher, but he had a heart for people that were on the streets. And he started working for the YMCA, and uh, that's back when it actually stood for Young Men's Christian Association, and they actually preached the gospel. And he turned down other positions that he might work in inner cities in the 1920s and the 1930s so that he could lead alcoholics and drug addicts, and he could lead poverty-stricken men to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he felt like if he could reach men for Christ, that would revolutionize families and revolutionize society. And he gave all of that up so he could work with those people, all the other opportunities that he had. Well, his son worked for Sears Roebuck Company. Uh, Google it for those of you who are younger. Back when it was the number one retailer in the world. He worked and his office was in Chicago in the Sears Tower and he was way 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 up high in a corner office and made tons and tons of money he was that man's son who worked for the YMCA well here he is in the corporate world here he is being sought out by tons of people here he is being the man who kind of has it all and he lives in a certain neighborhood that you wouldn't expect him to live in Oh, they weren't poor by any means, but it was just an average, ordinary, middle-class neighborhood. You know why they lived there? First of all, it's because this man who was so successful because of his dad's work with the YMCA, he too was heavily invested in Christian ministry, so much so that the IRS audited him because they said, nobody gives away that much money, but he had. He didn't need a big house. He didn't need anything expensive. He wanted to live there. Secondly, he lived in that neighborhood because he and his family searched for a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. And it was so important for them to live close to a Bible-teaching church that determined what kind of house they would buy. There is no telling how much that grandfather living an ordinary life ministering to street people influenced his son who was able to give huge sums of money as well as go on mission trips and be involved in different things out of love for the Lord and that family's legacy continues on the ordinary things of life just living life and just living life for Christ and because knowing that I've been made right with God is the most important thing of all I can't help telling other people about it and the influence that goes on through that it spreads and it spreads and it spreads and it spreads that's what happened in the early church it wasn't the big stuff it was the small ordinary people doing ordinary things for the glory of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit that caused such a ripple effect. And so you've got to, in order to know the Lord of peace, you've got to be saved and have peace with God. But that's not all that it talks about here. Because when you get right with God and you're saved, you have a higher authority and you have a higher purpose for what you live in your life. That never gets old. It never gets dull. You may get tired in the work, but you never get tired of the work. Number two, 
The second thing, if you want to keep this from getting boring, is you've got to be guarded by the peace of God. You say, well, didn't you just talk about that? No, I really didn't. I talked about in the first point, how do you have peace with God? How does the hostility cease? How do you become a soldier and a person that is on the side of the Lord? That's through the cross of Jesus Christ. But at this point, we're talking about something else. The peace of God. The peace that comes from heaven to fill your life and to touch every part of your life. Wouldn't you like to have it? It's what the world's looking for. That's why Oklahoma, recently they did a study and they said that we produce, with uh, all of our medical marijuana stuff, we produce 64 times what we need for all of that. You know why? There's a whole lot of dope smoking going on that's not for headaches. In fact, they said that over 80% of the illegal marijuana on the East Coast comes right here from our Bible Belt, Red State, conservative Oklahoma. What a bunch of hypocrites, right? I mean, my goodness. And so we look around at all of this and we go, what's going on? Why is there a market for marijuana? I'm, I'm fine with medical marijuana for a medical reason and all of that. I'm, I'm fine with that. If it helps, great. But most people are not using it for their health. What's, what's the deal? Why is there a market for that? Why are alcohol sales going through the roof? Even if you boycott, boycott Bud Light, uh, there's still a lot of alcohol. Why are we so drunk and high in America. I'll tell you why. It's here at point number two. Because people don't have any peace. And they're trying to numb the pain. They're trying to forget about their past. They're trying to get to a place to where they can cope with what life really is. Well, notice here, Paul is not saying, my prayer for you is that you will go to work, live your life, make your money, take care of your family, and that you can cope with all of the hardships of life. It's not what he says. You'll notice here, the rest of... The verse that we read in 16, it says, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. He's talking about the kind of peace that floods every part of your life. Where you have a peaceful home. Where you have a peaceful marriage. Where you have peaceful relationships. Where you're able to take a neighbor who's hostile toward you and they don't like you. And the day you moved in, they made up their minds. They were going to make your life a living hell because they didn't like you. And now all of a sudden, a few years later, you're friends with them. They need to be saved. They're listening to you share the gospel. They're asking you questions because you've been able to live a peaceful life that affects, or should we say maybe infects them. I wish I had what they have. I wish I had the peace they have even in the midst of the storm. I wish they had, I wish I had the kind of peace that they have in relationships, even when they're done wrong. The peace that passes understanding, it's called. Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7 says, Let your, uh, I'm reading out of the ESV, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, notice the play there, anything and everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the result, the result of doing those things. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, they don't make a product that will give you that. There's nothing that they make that will give you that. There's not an herb that will give you that. There's not a spirit that will give you that. There's nothing that can give you that except the Lord Jesus Christ through His Holy Spirit, not the spirits that come in a bottle. It's not a change in circumstances the Thessalonians needed. They were under a tough situation as we have studied and as we've seen. And they were confused about some things. But that wasn't really what they needed. They needed the work of the Lord in their life. And far too often we're depending upon us. We're depending upon our circumstances. We're depending upon our bank account. We're depending upon our friendships. We're depending upon the style of our clothes. We're depending upon where we can go on vacation. That's what's going to really make life meaningful and make it peaceful. No, it won't. In fact, it'll stir up more envy. You'll go on a great vacation somewhere, and then you'll come back here to hot, dry, dull, boring Oklahoma, and all it does is just stir up stuff in your heart of discontentment and covetousness toward other people. Paul didn't say, dream about being in Corinth. He didn't say, dream about being in Jerusalem or dream about being in Ephesus. No, he said, live where you are and live your life with the peace in your life that permeates you and everything you touch and everyone you come in contact with. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people said about you, man, I just felt peaceful every time they were around. There would be turmoil, there would be agitation, there would be frustration and all of that going on until you showed up and all of a sudden everything started to calm down. Didn't Jesus say, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Because just as Christ made peace between us and a holy God, so we live on earth and we are to have that peace permeating every part of our life. We don't stir up stuff. We don't cause the trouble. We are the ones who soothe it. We're like the oil on the troubled waters. And we are the ones that not only live a peaceful life, but we also uh, portray that. And we have the fragrance of that in everything that we do and everywhere that we go. I promise you that won't be boring because when you have that kind of reputation, people will be coming to you. Pray for me. Help me. Give me counsel. What do you have that I don't have? And it'll not stop. It'll carry on because that is an unusual thing. That's why it's called peace that passes understanding. In other words, here's my translation of it. Kenan translation if you want it. Peace that doesn't make sense. Peace you wouldn't expect. That's what Paul calls for us to live in, in the everyday normal things of life. And boy, it's the normal things of life that really get to you. They sneak up on you. They tackle you from behind. That your expectations aren't met. And you get frustrated. And you think you deserve better than that in your normal life. And that's when you get off track. That's when you derail as you are trying to live for Christ. Don't do it. Paul is praying for that. That's what we need. Not only peace um, with God in salvation, but the peace of God to flow through our lives. Number three, be constantly aware of the presence of God. Notice here it says, the Lord be with you all. 
Well, how do we get the Lord to be with us? Well, you don't have to do anything. Once you get saved, He comes to live in you, and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the sanctuary of God, and so He is with you everywhere you go. He never leaves you. He promised in the book of Hebrews, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Whether you're at your best, whether you're at your worst, He is permanently with you and you are permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which means you walk and live in the presence of God. Yes, He's everywhere, so we all kind of do that, but you in a special way, you're not empty inside, you're not dead inside, you're not demon-possessed on the inside, you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you to train you, to teach you, to convict you, to guide you, and to exalt and spotlight Christ in everything you do. Far from boring, you're not on your own. You're not just making it on your own talent or your own ability or your own intellect. You have the wisdom of the ages and the power of the one who created the universe with just a word from nothing living within you. You think he knows how to handle your hang-ups? You think he knows how to handle your problems? You think he knows how to meet your needs? You think he knows how to guide you? Of course he does. If we would only trust the Lord and be aware of the fact that we're in His presence. If you're acting differently at church because this is holy ground than you are at your home, you're a hypocrite. Everywhere you go is holy ground because the Lord is with you everywhere you go. It doesn't matter if anybody's looking or not. It doesn't matter whether certain people are looking or not. You know, we get all uptight. Some people, we don't care. They saw you doing that. I don't care. It doesn't matter. But then there are certain people, they saw you. Oh, no! What are we going to do? Well, keep in mind the Lord is watching over you all the time. 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So can you imagine we live in our ordinary, dull, unremarkable lives, but we live it in a way where people say, hey, there's a difference between you and me. What's the difference? Now, you may not say it this way, but you know it's because the face of the Lord is upon me in a positive way, and the face of the Lord is against you. That's why your life is so unfulfilling and frustrating here. And we know that, and we understand that that gives us an opportunity just to simply talk about Christ. How many open doors have you walked by this week through hurting people, through people who are frustrated and people who are upset, that you could have said something, you could have ministered, and you could have witnessed to them. It was an open door, but you just didn't take it. Well, this is what he's talking about. Remember, you've been given a commission, the great commission by the Lord, and you've been given the great commandment to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so if we would just do those ordinary things, I think witnessing would not be a problem. I think we would be so busy telling people about Christ, building relationships, answering questions, and yeah, we might get a little persecution while we're at it, but the persecution would never stop us because the gates of hell will not prevail against the Lord's church. Why? Because His eyes are on us, His ears are open to our cry, and His face is against them. They can only do what He allows them to do. We have already won the victory. Quit moping around. We've already won the victory, and it only gets better from here. 
So whenever anybody says, well, you ought to live your best life now, that's what a lost person does. Live the best you can now because it's only going to get worse. But for the saved person, we do want to honor God in everything we do, but our best life is not now. It is when we get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. So if we're living with the peace, uh, having peace with God in salvation and the peace of God affecting everything that we do. And as we are living, if we're constantly aware of the Lord's presence, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I want to please the Lord. I want to glorify him and I want to witness for him. Do you think the Lord would look at that and go, no, nah, I'm not using you. Or do you think he might bless that? And how exciting would that be to be used of God in that way? Number four, then we need to have confidence. And you knew it was going to come to this in the truth and the promise of the scripture. Paul says to the Thessalonians, you can be sure this is from me. This is not like those fake letters you have seen before. Why? Because I signed it. I signed it. Say, so didn't Paul write the whole thing? Typically, no. Typically, that uh, what they would do is they would dictate it, and they would have someone that was like a, a secretary or an immunicist that was uh, employed to write these things down and uh, taking this dictation, but they would always sign it. It's like uh, an old-fashioned secretary. You know, Mrs. Wiggins, uh, come in here and take some dictation. And so she writes all of that kind of stuff down. Then she types it up, hands it to the boss, and then he signs it. Okay? And so that's what Paul was saying. Look, I've signed it. Every letter I write has the mark of authenticity. Now, Paul evidently had some eye problems. Well, that's not... Um, unexpected in the day in which he lived uh, just stop and think how blessed you are can you imagine living in a day where they didn't have any uh, corrective lenses no glasses no contacts for anything how blind would we all be in that situation can you imagine if there were no surgeries to correct detached retinas if there was no surgery to uh, replace the lenses that have been clouded by cataracts what would it be like? And so Paul had some problems. We don't know exactly what they were. In one letter, he says, I write this in my own hand. See how large the letters are. It gives us a clue. He had some trouble seeing on some things. But it was also his mark, his stamp of authenticity. If you don't see my signature and my writing at the bottom of the letter, then junk it. Don't believe it. It's a fake. But if you see that, this is a command from the Lord. This is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient Word of God. What is he pointing them to? Go to what I have written to you. Go to the Word. Go to, we would say today, go to the book that God has given you. Those 66 books that are bound together in the Bible that are the Word of God. They'll show you how to live. They'll correct you when you're wrong. They'll show you how to get right. They'll show you how to stay right. They'll show you how to diagnose the problem in your kids. They'll show you how to diagnose the problems that are in your neighbor. They will show you how to diagnose your own spiritual problems because it's like looking into a mirror when you do that. We looked this morning at Peter's hypocrisy in Galatians and I said to my class, hey, if Peter had a problem with hypocrisy, guess what? I got a problem with hypocrisy. 
Because I certainly wouldn't compare myself with the Apostle Peter, a guy that preached on Pentecost and 3,000 were saved, a guy that took the gospel to the Gentiles, and yet he played the hypocrite when he was doing that. Barnabas did that as well. Listen, we all struggle with this kind of stuff. Now, how am I going to keep from just walking along saying, oh, I'm okay, oh, I'm happy with who I am? You know, that really doesn't matter. What you need to do is find out if God is pleased with the way you're living. Well, how do I do that? Because I deceive myself. I can come up with all kinds of excuses for losing my temper or whatever it is that I did. I've uh, watched lately the uh, old, uh, on YouTube clips, the old show from Dateline, To Catch a Predator, where they uh, go in and have a decoy that talks with men who want to have sexual relations with a minor and then they come to the house to meet and then they're caught and confronted. You know how many of them justify themselves? Do you know how many of them do not say I'm guilty or I'm wrong? Oh, I've never done this before. Oh, I was never going to do anything. Oh, I knew it was a trap and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, this is just stupid. I was just being stupid. Those kind of things that are said. You know why we do that? Because all of us in humanity, we're the same. We defend ourselves. And we try to justify ourselves. Well, in that case, because everything was... All of the computer logs were kept. And it was all on uh, uh, cameras were there to video and, and all of that. They couldn't justify themselves because they were caught. Red-handed, as we say, right? And they were arrested and taken off. Let me tell you something about your life. Because of what we're talking about here today, here's the thing. You cannot, and you've never been able to justify yourself. There is no excuse for your sin. You cannot make up some reason for what you did. You can't just say, well, I've never done this before. Well, it was a stupid thing. Well, I knew. Well, you probably did, but that's no excuse, right? And you think about all of the things we do to try to defend ourselves. You ever known anybody that was defensive? You ever known anybody who could never be wrong? You ever known anybody that you could uh, talk to them and go, you didn't say that, you just now said this, and then they've got some way of twisting it and going around it? You ever known that? Isn't that aggravating? Except that's what you do every day to yourself. And that's why the Bible says... Uh, We are to be diligent to show ourselves approved unto God. Rightly dividing the word of truth so that we don't have to be like a workman who's ashamed. And then it says this, deceiving ourselves. And we live in such a life of deception. We're not honest to God. We're not honest to ourselves. We're not honest with each other. No wonder life gets dull and boring and we can't really... Pull everything together. God's blessing is not on that. And plus, whenever you lie, you have to remember your lie. And you always forget somewhere, sometime. And so Paul is saying, there's a, there's a better way. Hey, Thessalonians, don't look for the glitter. Don't look for the flash. Don't look for all of the big things. Don't look for everybody to be crowded around you. And for you to be this high, powerful person. Just be an ordinary believer. Live an ordinary life, but live it under the power of God, for the glory of God, and under the blessing of God. And while you're doing that, make sure that you're saved. That's point number one, peace with God. And then make sure if you are saved, are you living for His glory with His peace permeating every part of your life? And then thirdly, 
Are you aware of the Lord's presence at all times? We tend to think sometimes, well, I'm not at church and I'm not around Christian people. Uh, You know, nobody's looking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Lord's eyes are upon you. And then have confidence in the word of God. What does the word have to say about marriage? What does the word of God have to say about raising children? Oh, there's got to be a great book out there somewhere that I can get besides the Bible. The Bible's just kind of dull, boring, doesn't really have much to say. Oh, it's got plenty to say. And if you will let it do its work in your life and let it diagnose you and you will take its diagnosis to the Lord, you're going to have a completely completely different life instead of being stubborn and resistant and defending and well get down to the brass tacks disobeying the word of God that's when all of the stuff sets in and that's when the devil dangles all kinds of shiny flashy stuff out here. here's your answer here's what you need here's what's been missing and then you find yourself messed up addicted torn up relationships sad filled with regrets. Hey, folks, I love you. I don't want you to die with regrets. And I don't want people you love to die and you to have regrets after they're gone. There's a better way. And that's what Paul is talking about. Not just a boring life, but a blessed life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the conclusion, I would say. How about it? The grace of the Lord be with you all because it's going to take grace to do this. You won't do it on your own. You won't do it in the flesh. Fleshly people hate all of this kind of stuff and they hate everything that Paul has talked about here. But not those who are filled with the Spirit and love the Lord. They crave this. And inside their soul they're saying, Oh Lord, this is what I want my life to be. How about it? How about it? Have you been saved? Do you have peace with God through Jesus Christ? If not, We invite you today to trust him as your Lord and your Savior. Come down here on the front row and see Brother Chad Trench. Talk to him. He'll get you with someone who can help you with that. Talk to somebody that is seated around you. There's probably somebody who can share the gospel there with you. This is not just a preacher's thing. This is all of us are ministers. And then if you are saved, but you don't have the peace of God permeating your life, why not? Come back tonight and we'll talk about it. And uh, if you are not living in an awareness of God, His presence in everything you do, open your eyes. Wake up. Wake up. You're just going through life, drifting along asleep. No, the Lord is here and the Lord is coming back and the Lord is either going to take you in death or He's going to return in your lifetime. One of those two things is going to happen. Live for His glory because He sees and He knows everything you can't hide anything from him and then have confidence in the word of God if you're not reading your Bible every day you need to start and if you are not trusting what you read in the Bible then what's the point you need to trust it it is the word of God it'll change your life and your relationship with God okay so there's your assignment there's your homework I hope you'll go home and that you will do that and may the Lord bless you as you do. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we conclude this time, we realize that sometimes we're looking for the splash, the flash, and we compare ourselves to other people. Well, you can use anybody any way you want, and some people do make a big splash, and some people do have a lot of results, and some people are just ordinary, everyday people. 
But help us to realize you do your greatest work through the ordinary, everyday people, just like you did in the early church. You're doing it now. May we be the people that are like Isaiah. When we hear the call, who will go for us? And whom shall we send? May we say like Isaiah, here am I, send me. And then you do with us whatever pleases you. We sing a song that says, Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. It may be a way of pain. It may be a way of ordinary. It may be a way of big, huge, wonderful things. We don't really care. Here's the key. We just want to be used. Use us, Lord. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.